greetings from Clive. Clive is in France. He is at the G12 convention in Paris, and he has taken, I can't remember, half a dozen other people with him to that conference who are there with him today. And it's very exciting because there are 42 different churches there at the conference uh, from all over France. And you will know that France is a fairly secular nation that's actually quite traditional in its expression of faith. And there are 42 churches there together praising God and wanting to really see their nation touched for Jesus. And uh, I spoke to Clive yesterday afternoon and he was really enjoying just relaxing and being at the conference, but unbeknown to him, he was the speaker last night. <laughs> I said, you should be getting the hang of this by now. You, or you can't turn up places without anything. You have to have something ready to speak. So I'm sure it was great. Now, this morning, I'm going to speak to you on something that you may never, ever have heard anybody speak on in church before. And... Um, I don't know, maybe you have, but maybe you won't have. So today we are going to be looking at a subject called herpetology. Who can tell me what that is? You have to come up here if you know, and you can win a prize. Who's going to come and claim this bar of chocolate? Cold sores, no. Herpetology is the subject. No, it's not skin, sorry. Pardon? Plants, no, it's not plants. I'm going to be able to eat this chocolate, yum. Can't hear you. Turtles, mm, they might be in it. How do you spell it? H-E-R-P-E-T-O-L-O-G-Y. Herpetology. Lily. Okay, crowd. Okay, okay, all right. I'm going to keep this until we can establish the veracity of her claim. But she's right. Her pathology is the study of amphibians and reptiles. Snakes. Yeah, you are. I think you should get it. Because you kind of said turtles. Koshi, you intercepted it. Well done, that man. It is the study of creeping things. So I was going to do an amazing PowerPoint presentation, but I thought half of you who are squeamish might leave the meeting, so I have not done a PowerPoint. Did you know herping is actually when you go looking for snakes? So we're going to do some herping this morning. That's what we're going to be doing. I bet you've never done that in church before. But seriously, I read a story in the newspaper this summer, and some of you may have read it as well. It was very, very sad. It was about a little boy called Noah. He's five years old, and a little boy called Connor. He was seven years old. And they lived in Canada, and they went one day to have a sleepover at a friend's house. And uh, if you recognize this story, you can wave a hand at me. But as they were sleeping in this friend's apartment, the apartment was above a pet shop. And during the night, a python in this pet shop got out of its cage and got into the ventilation system of this apartment. And it uh, crept its way through the ventilation system and dropped down through the ceiling of the room that these little lads were sleeping in. And in the morning, they were found suffocated. The snake had suffocated the life out of them. It's a tragic story. There was a girl called Amanda Ruth Black. She was 25 years old, and she was a brand-new bride, just got married, and into her wedding, she brought with her her pet python. But one day, her husband came home from work and found her lying on the floor, suffocated, and she had been t- opened the door of the pet's cage to give it some medicine, and it had come out and uh, suffocated her, and she was dead upon the floor. The snake was called Diablo, or the devil, and she was dead. I googled this uh, the other day. Things you should know before you buy a python as a pet. Things you should know about a python before you decide to buy it as a pet. Do you know what the number one thing was? Seriously, they can kill you. That's the first thing you should know. A python can kill you. In 2000, 
the year 2000, nearly 4 million American homes had a python as a pet. Four, I mean, why? Why would you do that? But 4 million American homes had a python as a pet. What do you think about in the UK? How many, if you count all that, you can count lizards, other reptiles, in with this one. How many people do you think in England, we are a much smaller little country than America, mind, but how many homes in England do you think have some kind of reptile as a pet, a lizard, a snake, or something like that? Two million, half a million, seven million. You're getting better. It's actually in this nation, eight million. Eight million, and we only have six and a half million dogs, and we're supposed to be a nation of dog lovers. But we have eight million lizards and snakes in people's homes in our nation. They are only topped by cats at nine million, but I think the, the, the snakes are catching up. Joy is contributing, and the Bowies, to the cat population with more than their fair share. But anyway, I was really staggered. Eight million. Just this week, you may have read, a plane was diverted to and had to land as an emergency at a different airport because someone in a takeaway food container had taken a snake on board. And they diverted. And now, listen, that flight was going from Tel Aviv to London. I flew from Tel Aviv this year. They took my suitcase to pieces. I don't know how they got a snake on the plane. Um, honestly, they were really strict on the security, but this person took it on like in a takeaway food must thought they were, I don't know, it looked like a Chinese or an Indian or something, and inside with this snake, and they had to land the plane somewhere else in a hurry. In the Florida Everglades, they have a serious problem with pythons. Pythons are not native to Florida at all, but what has happened over the years is people buy these animals as pets, and they grow, and they grow way bigger than people anticipate them to be. And then they let them out into the wild because they can't cope with them anymore. And also, when one of these hurricanes hit Florida, it washed through a hatchery where they were uh, breeding these snakes for pets. And hundreds of these little baby snakes got washed out into the Florida Everglades. And they reckon now that there are about 200,000 pythons swimming around the Florida Everglades, and they kill rabbits, birds, alligators, deer. They caught one, and when they slit open its stomach, it had a 67-pound intact deer inside of it that it had swallowed. And, uh, you know, there we go. Now, let's get into the Bible. (laughs) You're wondering where this is going, aren't you? It is going somewhere, but I'm just setting the scene for you here. Now, these are nasty creatures. So I'm going to read from Acts 16 and verse 16. So you can remember that pretty easily if you want to look this up at home later. Acts 16, 16. Now it happened. This is Paul and Silas in this story. Paul and Silas. As it happened, as we went to prayer, that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us who brought her masters much profit by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And this she did for very many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. But when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities, and they brought them to the magistrates, saying, These men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city, and they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. And the multitude rose up together against them. The magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awakening from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposed the prisoners had fled drew his sword, and was about to kill himself. But Paul called out with a loud voice, saying, 
don't harm yourself, we're all here. And then he called for a light, ran in, and fell down trembling in front of Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. And then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And immediately he and all his family were baptized. Father, we thank you for this account in Scripture, Lord. We thank you for this story recorded so that we can learn from it. And I pray today that we would each go out of here with something fresh, Lord, with something that's helped us to be more like Jesus, with something that's helped us to grow in our faith, Lord, and walk after you, Lord, uh, more passionately and more fully. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, your Bible is probably like mine and translates this passage in verse um, 16 pretty much the same. It said that the slave girl had a spirit of divination. Whose Bible says that? If you've got your Bible here today, whose Bible says that? Okay, well, if, you have, if you're sitting here and you have Young's literal translation of the Bible, it actually says a spirit of python. That's what it says, a spirit of python. And if you look in the Greek, it actually says python as well. And right back to when we had the Bible translated into Latin, that says python as well. And yet we have it down as a spirit of divination. So why the difference? Why has that been translated a little bit differently? We're going to do a bit of a history lesson at this point. And uh, this goes all the way back to Greek mythology. And back in the time of Greek myths and legends, people believed that the center of the world was a place called Delphi. Have you ever heard of Delphi in Greece? Um, you, may, you may have done. You may have heard of the Oracle of Delphi. I didn't even know what that was, but I'd heard of it. And Delphi was a real place near Mount Parnassus. And a long, long time ago, back um, before the time of Jesus, there were some shepherds uh, in the area of Delphi, and they noticed that their goats all started acting really crazy when they were around this sort of ca- uh, chasm or crevice in the ground. Now, we could have a little kind of bit of drama here with some crazy goats. I'm looking at Paul Corelius, <laughs> seeing if he feels like being a crazy goat. I think I will skip that one. Okay. But these goats were all acting really crazy, and they dedicated the site to the Earth Mother Gaia. And uh, in the myth, Zeus, the Greek god, declared that this was like the navel or the belly button of the earth, this chasm. They thought that was the center of the earth. And then along came the Greek god Apollos, according to legend. And he was looking for somewhere that he could base his operations. And he decided that Delphi would be just the perfect spot. But here's the problem. It was guarded by a huge python snake. So the story goes. So Apollos came along and he fought this snake and killed it and it fell into this chasm. And you can see it on ancient coins that they, they, did, they believe this story that grew up around it. There's a picture of it on some coins you can see. Now, then, uh, so the story goes, Apollos installed his own priestess and built a temple there. And he called this priestess Pythia after the python. And this Pythia became famous for being able to deliver oracles about the future, for being able to uh, speak about the future. And people paid huge sums of money in their day to go and consult this woman. And she would only be able to be consulted at very specific times of the year. And she would sit on this tripod contraption suspended over this chasm in the earth and that the temple was built around. And she would go into this kind of trance and say her stuff. And uh, by the way, can I just say something here before I explain a little bit more? It is never okay to consult fortune tellers or people who want to predict your future. It's never okay to read your horoscope or your tea leaves or tarot cards or anything like that. Do you know why that's not okay? Because a lot of people think that's just a bit of harmless fun, don't they? Reading their horoscope in a magazine and looking at their star sign. It's not okay because you're opening your life up to a destiny that isn't God's destiny for you. You're looking at another source to predict your future instead of looking to God and what he says about your future. And you don't want to do that. 
Don't open your life up to another influence speaking your future over you. You want God's destiny in your life. You want God's plan for you, his purpose for you. That's why we don't do those things. We don't want to have a door in our lives that the enemy can use to confound God's plan for our lives. So that's why we don't do those things. But that's what this woman was doing. Now, in this century, archaeologists have been able to establish that in Delphi, the the place of Delphi lies on two fault lines in the Earth's crust. And in the time of... uh, the Oracle of Delphi was a real person. Obviously, the Greek mythology wasn't, but she was a real person. And these fault lines released ethylene and methane gas up into this chasm upon which she was suspended. And that's, she was inhaling these vapors, and so were the goats. That's why they went crazy, because she was breathing in this stuff. Well, ethylene suffocates you by taking the place of air. It's actually used as an anesthetic, but they give you some oxygen as well then, so you you don't have to worry too much. But um, it kind of, you know, it sedates you. And methane breaks down into something called carbon monoxide, which I'm sure you've heard of as that silent killer that takes the place of oxygen in your bloodstream and suffocates you that way. It takes the life out of you. And in fact, these poor oracles of Delphi, there wasn't just one, because they, they regularly died and had to be replaced by some other poor unsuspecting young female to take the place, because they were being suffocated um, by these gases. Okay, so you're getting the picture. There's this big python that strangles the life out of people, and we'll say a bit more about that in a moment. So Paul and Silas recognize something going on in this slave girl when they say there is a spirit of python affecting your life. Now listen, in the book of Acts, many times, or in the whole of scripture really, you will read of the apostles and believers confronting spiritual forces. And we don't want to be looking for trouble everywhere and kind of, you know, doing a sort of ghostbusters everywhere we go or anything like that. Um, Sorry. Um, But we do need to be aware that there is a real spiritual realm. And just as God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit are real, so is the devil and his forces. And we are silly if we don't believe that. Because then we'll be blind and ignorant to their devices. 1 Peter 5, 8, 9 says, Be sober, be vigilant, stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. That's what he's doing. That's his main job in life, to see who he can devour and gobble up. Pastor Barney was talking to us last week about recognizing and dealing with curses, the spiritual force behind words that are spoken, and we need to recognize those. Ephesians 6.12 says this, we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and evil spirits in the heavenly places. Now, if we don't believe that and wake up to that, if we're only... Um, aware of the good side of the spiritual realm, I think that makes us vulnerable because we can't protect ourselves if we're not aware of what we're fighting. Now, in Acts chapter 16, that is the only place in the book of Acts where a spirit is actually given a name. So it must be important. It's the only place where we actually get given a name as python spirit or a spirit of python. Now, the python is not a little grass snake. It's not a little creature. It can grow to 33, 45 feet or more. I don't know. How long is this building? I have no... I'm really bad on distances. Lily got it off me. But, um, it, you know, for, that's, a, that's long, isn't it? It's a long snake when full grown. It can weigh 135 kilograms. And here's the thing that's very unusual about the python. It is not poisonous. Did you know that? Most snakes inject you with venom and kill you by uh, putting poison into your bloodstream. But the python is not a poisonous snake. And the way that it kills you is by sidling up to you, and it often does this when an animal or a person is asleep, and it wraps itself around them. And every time the person breathes out, 
the python tightens its coils until eventually it squeezes all the breath out of people. This is why I didn't do a PowerPoint. But, uh, and once it squeezed the breath out of them, it can swallow them whole. And sometimes it even hides up in a tree and drops down from a height onto people. And uh, once it's swallowed a victim, it, it doesn't eat for up to a year. It spends that time digesting what it's swallowed. And uh, it has heat-sensing organs in its hips that can, that can uh, sense when uh, the heat from an animal or a person is present and it can um, catch up on them. They are opportunists. They see an unguarded victim and they can move really fast. They can move on land, they can move in trees, and even underwater, they are great swimmers. In fact, you can YouTube this. There's a, uh, a, something on YouTube, and there's this python hiding underwater at a, at a watering hole where animals come to drink water and deers and gazelles and so on. And it can stay underwater for up to an hour, and then it just pops a little bit up and takes a breath, and you can see some bubbles, and it goes back down again until uh, some animals come that it can zip out of the water and wrap itself around and entangle them. Now, in the Bible, Satan is depicted as a snake. You know that, as a serpent. In Genesis, he appears as a serpent to tempt Eve. And in Revelation, he's described as an old serpent in chapter 12. And in John 10, we know the devil comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And this is just how he wants to work in our lives. He wants to squeeze the spiritual life out of us. That's what he is about. He's not, that's his prime purpose in life is to destroy us and squeeze the spiritual life out of us. And he waits for an opportunity to do that and takes it. But God comes to bring us life and life in abundance. Amen? That's what we're supposed to be experiencing, life in abundance. But the enemy wants to squeeze that life out of us. And the spirit of Python wants to suffocate the life and breath of God in you. Have you ever felt that something is stealing your life in God? For no real reason. Life's okay, things are going along, but you just feel flat. You can't seem to pray, or your passion for worship has gone. You don't really find the time to read your Bible anymore. You feel a bit limited, stifled. You're not being fruitful. You feel a bit paralyzed and flat. Well, the enemy wants to do that to you and squeeze the life out of you. He wants to crush your hopes and your faith. He wants to spoil your dreams. And this kind of spirit weighs you down makes you feel heavy and discouraged and uh, squeeze, compress, inhibit you. Are you with me? Let's have a couple of people to help me then. We'll we'll, uh, take a bit of a break here. Who's going to come and help me up the front here? Come on, Paul. You're always up for this. Come on, then mix. And I'm going to need some other people in a moment. Now, you're going to have to just... Which of you would like to be the Christian? You, You can just wait over here in the wings. Which one of you is going to... How, how should we typecast this? Who's the Christian? You're going to squeeze... No, neither of you get to do the squeezing. Okay, here's Christian over here. Here's Joe Public over here who's not a believer. And so here's their day. They're going to get up. You have to act this really quick. Okay, so here I go. They get up. Okay, they have a shower. They get dressed. They eat their breakfast. They get in the car. They drive to work. They park the car. I think that was not very Christian driving. (laughs) Sorry. You may have to swap. (laughs) Okay, they get to work. They do their job. They eat their lunch. They talk to their friends. Work finishes. They go back to their car. They get in their car. They drive home. They cook their dinner. They wash it up and clear it up and dry it up and put it away. These are not boys, are they? No, they're boys. Okay. Then they ring their mum and say, how are you doing, mum? They watch a bit of TV and they go to bed. So what is the difference between Christian and Joe? None. What, what should Joe be doing that is more different then? Someone come and help me. Lily, you can help me at this point. Your moment is coming. So what should Christian be doing in his life that makes him any the different from Joe over there? Pray. Right, right pray and stick that on him. Some more things. Bible reading. Character. Keep going. Worshipping. 
Witnessing. Just keep writing, Lily. He's got to be different. He's going to do some fasting as well. He's going to do some giving. Oh, dear. Keep them all on. Now, the minute he starts to do these things, he looks different to Joe over here. He's got some marks on his life. Now, they're good marks. They are good things to be doing, but they make him stand out. Now, Jen, get what's in that pink bag, and where's Nathan Bowie? Is he here? Come and help me, Nathan. Now, this rope is about the length of a python. It's nowhere near the width of a python, but Nathan, you and Jen can start to wrap this around mix. You need to find the end and do it real quick. And leave me an end up here. You're going to go real quick. So I'll have an end here. And you start wrapping the pair of you. So this, yeah, round you go. No, you're not supposed to be in it. I'll hold this up. Okay. So Mix is trying to live his life. <laughs> okay. So Mix is trying to do the right thing, and he is wondering why he's feeling a little bit kind of like this. Now, what happens is every time he takes a breath in, take a breath in, he's breathing in the life of God, and then he breathes out, and this goes tighter. It's fallen down. You did, you, my assistants let me down. But you, as he breathes out, it goes tighter, and then he tries to breathe in again, and he breathes out, and it comes even tighter until eventually... It would try to suffocate the very life out of him. Now, Mix is thinking, this is a bit not fair. Here's Joe over here. And what's happening to him? He's just getting up and showering and going to work and all these things. And I'm feeling really like I'm struggling here. Now, if you've ever felt like that, you need to read Psalm 73. Psalm 73, David says, I almost envied the wicked I almost thought, what is the point? Because he's prospering and I'm struggling. What is the point? But here is the point. This guy has an eternal destiny. This guy has the presence of God in his life. This guy has got the Holy Spirit walking with him. And so even if he's struggling, if he knows what to do about it, he's going to be okay. He's going to be all right. Whereas sorry over there, Joe, even though you look okay, your destiny is really different. Okay? No, you can't tie him up. Sorry. You had your moment. Right. Thank you, guys. Give them a hand of applause. It is no accident that Paul and Silas came across this girl. She'd been following them around for some time, but they had a confrontation with her when they were on their way to the place of prayer. They were going to pray, and they had a confrontation with this girl who was carrying about this spirit called the spirit of Python. Now, we really need to understand this because the enemy is always wanting to stop you doing anything spiritual. Do you, do you, did you know that? He wants to stop you doing anything spiritual. He will try and interrupt you praying. He will try and make you stop reading your Bible. He will try and stop you praising God. He wants to stop you experiencing the presence of God in your life. That's his mission in life. That's what he's trying to do, stop you experiencing the presence of God in your life. Have you ever sat down to pray? And uh, I remember Jeff Norris telling us this when we were young Christians. He said, and he was our pastor, and we looked up to him and everything. And, but he said, you know, when I sit down to pray, I suddenly notice that that plant is wilting and really needs watering. And then I notice the picture isn't straight on the wall. And so I go off to get some water for the plant before I start praying. And before I know it, I'm doing something else in the kitchen that has distracted me. And I'm wiping, I'm, you know, and I'm doing things I wouldn't even normally do or notice. But they've distracted me from praying, and the enemy has come along and tried to stop me doing things that are going to bring spiritual life to me. And we need to recognize when this is happening to us, because then we can do something about it. It's not a coincidence that you feel like that sometimes, that you feel like the life is being squeezed out of you, because there is an enemy. But praise God, there's a God in heaven as well who's fighting for you and wants you to succeed, and he wants you to know him more, and he wants you to flourish and experience him and grow in God. Amen?
Right, I'm going to give you seven signs of a spiritual attack. And for this, I am very grateful to a guy called Jensen Franklin, who actually, when I started to look into this, wrote a book on this this very year. And that's not where I first heard about it. I, Clive uh, told me about someone who preached on it, and it made me start thinking about it. But this guy called Jensen Franklin has written a book. And in his book, he identifies seven signs of a spiritual attack. So I, I'm thanking him for that material. I'm going to share it with you this morning. So if you're not taking notes, you might want to because you're going to find this really useful at some point in your life. Number one, a sign that you are under spiritual attack is when you have a loss of spiritual desire. You lose your desire for spiritual things. Now, you don't do that on purpose. If you love God and you're walking after him, you don't think, I'm going to deliberately lose my joy and my desire for spiritual things. And it can happen gradually, just as a python slowly suffocates its victim. Spiritual desire is about being passionate for God. And in Psalm 63, David says, my heart longs for you. You're my God. I'm going to seek you. I long for you. I'm thirsty for you. And that's expressing spiritual desire. And if we're passionate for God, that's how we're going to be. And we're going to find joy in the things of God. And we're going to find pleasure in spiritual things. So if you've lost your pleasure in spiritual things, and you haven't got that desire for God, you find that you're too busy to, con- to read your Bible, to connect in prayer, you're finding reasons to miss meetings, or you're going more after worldly pursuits than you are after the things of God, wake up! You're under a spiritual attack, and you need to recognize that. That's not God's plan for your life, that you would feel like that. He doesn't want you to be like that. He wants you to be full of the joy and presence and, uh, of Jesus and passionate about him and his cause. So wake up. Number one, that was. Number one, loss of spiritual desire. Second symptom that you're under uh, a spiritual attack of the type of a python spirit, physical fatigue. Do you remember Elijah? He went... And he won a great victory uh, on Mount Carmel. He defeated all the false prophets of Baal. It was a tremendous, tremendous story. And uh, after this, he must have been pretty whacked out. He stood up and faced down all these godless men and won through for the Lord. And he must have been pretty exhausted. And then Jezebel decides to attack him. And he runs and escapes into the wilderness, sits under a tree, and wishes that he could die. You would expect him to be thinking, wow, didn't didn't that go well? But he's actually sitting under a tree wishing that he could die. When you're tired, you are vulnerable. Did you know that? When you're tired, you're vulnerable. So if you're tired and you're feeling flat, open your eyes and see what's going on. Don't let the enemy get you in his coils and put you off doing the things that you should be doing for God and that will feed the right kind of life in you. So watch out if you're tired and especially push in to the purposes and presence of God. Number three, Jensen Franklin calls this lack attack, in quotes, lack attack. So loss of spiritual desire, tiredness, lack attack. Do you know what a lack attack is? It seems like all your finances and resources are drying up on you. Now, I'm not talking about when you've just gone out and spent a load on a credit card that you couldn't afford and got yourself into debt, because that is your own fault. And yes, God will help you, and yes, you can put that right, and yes, you can turn around and take control of your life again, and and God will help you in that. But I'm talking about the kind of lack that comes upon you, and you almost can't understand it. You know, we had a year our washing machine broke down. Then we had a massive repair bill on the car. And then our central heating boiler went, you know, and you think... God, all these things are happening at once. It is a lack attack. The enemy wants you to take your eyes off God and put your eyes onto money. He wants to stop you focusing on him and get you to look at him. This is a direct quote now. I like this. If he can get you worrying rather than worshipping, you will start to make decisions based on opportunity rather than anointing. Shall I say that again? It's a a quote. If he can get you worrying rather than worshipping, you will start to make decisions based on opportunity 
rather than anointing. Now, what do I mean by that? Listen, not every good offer that comes into your life is from God. It's not. You have to be discerning. So if a financial solution comes to you that's going to pull you away from God, pull you away from fellowship with the people of God, then you need to think really carefully about that. Don't, I wouldn't take it. We uh, live in an interesting world. You know, there are lots of things that can pull us away from the presence of God, from fellowshipping with his people. And even though they might seem good, you need to think seriously, is this going to compromise and squeeze the spiritual life out of me? You know, I'm a nurse, and I'm really blessed now in that uh, I don't have to work weekends or things like that anymore. But the last three jobs before this one, I worked all sorts of shifts, nights, earlys, lates, and so on and so forth. Now, listen, if you're, there's people in that position. We're working in the health industry. We're working in restaurants or whatever, and there's shift work. But you don't have to just take it without trying to see if you can change it. So I wouldn't mention it in the job interview. You know, I would kind of get the job first. But when I, I got a job in Oxford, and we were pastors in the church there, and so I said to my boss one day, you know, it would really help me if I could work late shifts or night shifts on a Sunday, or even the night shift the Saturday before, but not the actual Sunday morning, because I want to go to church. I want to go to church, and I want to be with the people of God. Can you help me? I'll do anything else um, apart from Thursday nights, because that's when I meet together. And I didn't say myself, because you wouldn't have got it. I said, that's when my husband and I have a group of people that we're mentoring, and we meet together. And so it would be really helpful if I didn't work Thursday nights and Sunday mornings, please. I never worked a Thursday night or Sunday morning in that job, ever. Now... What I'm saying is try it. Pray and try it. Don't just swallow and let yourself be choked by something that steals the life of God from you. You know, if you've got kids, you will come under pressure to do things on a Sunday morning with them. If they're good at sports, they're good at football, all these things happen on a Sunday morning. They do. And I've been there and we've had kids. But you know, if you let your kids do those things, you're sending them a message that football's more important than being with the people of God. And you're going to have to make some hard calls about that probably. And we had to make hard calls about it. But don't do things that seem okay, but are going to squeeze the spiritual life out of you. Amen? Okay. We don't want to train a generation. You might think you are that generation, or you're going to have kids of your own one day. We don't want to train a generation that takes their life direction from money and financial need rather than from God do that. Don't come under pressure. Don't come under an attack by a spirit of python that wants to squeeze the life out of you spiritually. We're most vulnerable financially when we have nothing or we have a lot. Did you know that? They're both times when the enemy can get into our lives, when we have nothing or when we have a lot. Make your decisions in a time of peace. Make your decisions about tithing and giving before you come under a lack attack. Make them ahead of time so that you do the righteous thing before the Lord. And then he can be on your side and help you and uh, come to your aid. We have to focus on God's promises, not our problems. Say to the person next to you, focus on God's promises, not your problems. Focus on God's promises, not your problems. Amen? Now, I had a story earlier this year, and um, by the way, I'm not going to finish this word today. We'll do, we'll do the end of it next week. But I heard a story earlier this year, and some of you will know who I'm talking about, but because it's not my story, I'm not going to say the guy's name. And if you guess who I'm talking about, keep it to yourself, because that would, that would bless me, because I'm sharing someone else's story. Well, this pastor was in the middle of a serious lack attack, like really serious. And through no fault of his own, uh, the board of directors in his church had made some decisions where but some financial decisions that he hadn't known about. And by the time he discovered it, they had defaulted on the loan for their church building by several, um, you know, we're talking six figures here, lots of money. They had not paid the loans. And by the time he discovered it, it had got to the point where the bank was going to take the buildings off them. And not just the church buildings and facilities and offices, but his own home was tied up in it. Are you guys okay at the back there? 
If, if, I if you are wanting to chat, I'm really happy for you to do that in the foyer. That would be fine for me. Um, and we can talk after it if you want to. So this guy is facing this serious lack attack. He is in big trouble. The bank is about to foreclose on his home, his buildings and everything. He's calling out to God to help him. And a, a miracle happens straight off in that they managed to renegotiate the, the deal with the bank so that now they only need about three million pounds which was half the amount that we were talking about in the beginning. I wouldn't sleep at night. This guy needed three million pounds to keep his church facilities and building because his board of directors had not um, been honoring the loans that they should have been meeting. So anyway, the pastor goes off to preach at a conference because pastors, are, you know, they push into God and they do the right thing and he goes off to preach at this conference. Well, unbeknown to him, back home where he came from, somebody in his church had a dream and this guy had a really vivid dream. You know when you sometimes you wake up in the morning and it's still with you? That's usually a God dream when you remember it in lots of detail. And I would say to you, write it down. If you have a dream like that and you wake up in the morning, it's really vivid, get into the habit of writing it down. Well, this guy had a dream. And in the dream, he, was, he saw this pastor and his wife and his family standing in a big open space like a field or something like that. And on the edge of the field, there was like a wooded area or forest. And as he watched... Out of this forest came a massive python snake. And it slithered across the grass and began to wrap itself around the pastor and his family. This is what he saw in the dream. And when he woke up, this guy was so stirred by this dream that he'd had, he didn't know what to do with it. So he thought about it for a little bit, and he felt it was really significant. And he understood that God was... Uh, telling him that this pastor and his family was under an attack from the enemy. And so um, I know this guy, actually, and he's a very, um, if you know life languages, he's a sort of shaper, producer, contemplator guy. He thinks about things. He plans things. He manages his life well, the, the guy who had the dream. And so he's not a spontaneous kind of guy at all, is what I'm saying. But nonetheless, he got in his car and he drove, I looked this up on Google because I know where it is, he drove 876 miles in his car, which would have taken him 12 hours and 15 minutes to get to the conference where this pastor was speaking. He drove overnight. He felt so stirred by this dream. And when he arrived at the conference, there is his pastor about to speak to the convention. Now, also unbeknown to him, the pastor had a message prepared that he was going to deliver to the conference. And just that morning when he woke up, he felt the Holy Spirit really challenge him and say, you need to speak about something else. Guess what he stood up and began to speak about? The spirit of Python. He stood up in this conference and began to speak about the spirit of Python. And there's this guy who's driven 876 miles with this dream burning in his heart. Uh, to, to, uh, and what happened as a result of it was this guy felt that God was really just stirring him to be part of the solution. To be part of the solution for this attack, this lack attack that was coming on this pastor and church and family. And so he was a wealthy businessman and he was able to loan them the money without interest to rescue their facilities and this pastor's home. Isn't that an amazing story? It's, I, I just was kind of like my mouth was dropping open as I heard it. But praise God that they saw what was happening. They understood what was happening and that this guy was prepared to be part of the answer. Now, if you're not being attacked yourself, think about being the solution for someone else. If you see somebody struggling and being a bit flat in that, don't just think, oh, they're not doing very well, are they? Get alongside them. Pray with them. Encourage them. See if you can be part of the answer for them, not just the problem. Wake up to the way that our enemy works. Okay, that's three things. We're nearly there. Perhaps we should do this over three weeks. <laughs> I've told you three things that are symptoms of uh, spiritual attack. Here's another one. Weak prayer life. Jesus said to his disciples, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation because the spirit's willing but the flesh is weak. He said that in Matthew 26, 40. And you know the disciples fell asleep when Jesus was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. And when they, uh, they were going to watch and pray with Jesus, they fell asleep. And just after that, Peter faced one of the worst attacks in his life from the enemy. And he ended up denying that he knew Jesus at all. You know the story. Well, the minute you try to pray, I said earlier on, God, that you know, God is cheering you on, but there's an enemy trying to stop you. 
and a Actually, Jensen Franklin said this. In every failure of my life, there has always been two common denominators, a dusty Bible and a broken down altar. He's using the altar as a picture of where we meet in prayer to get before Jesus. And I thought, you know, probably if I went around this room, you would probably agree with me. If you've had some real uh, failure in your life, maybe it's been at a time when you've not been in the word of God and you've not been praying. So let's wake up if our prayer life is getting weak. Number five, feeling overwhelmed and helpless. This is a sign that you are under spiritual attack, or it could be a sign that you're under attack. If you're feeling overwhelmed by your circumstances, then have a think. Is there something here that I need to be aware of? When you feel overwhelmed, you might feel hopeless. You feel like giving up. Well, by the time you get to feeling like quitting, Something's been working away in you for a little while. The enemy has used the circumstances to plant something in your life that's kind of an unhelpful attitude. And he starts to make you doubt and think, what's the point? What's the point of carrying on with this Christian thing? I'm feeling so overwhelmed or it's so difficult. And before you know it, you're not living by faith anymore. All of that has been squeezed out of you and uh, you're not in a good place. Circumstances. Circum means to in circle and stance means to stand so if you're feeling that you're stood somewhere in circle by a whole load of pressure and you can't escape maybe you're under a spiritual attack and you need to wake up (laughs) decide ahead of time that you're not going to be a quitter bad stuff happens did you know that Bad stuff happens. Sometimes it happens because we live in a fallen world, and sometimes it happens because we come under a definite attack of the enemy in our lives. Bad stuff happens. The enemy schemes to make you stumble and fall. You know Clive's story. uh, Clive's my husband, the one I told you is in France today, and his story. He was brought up on a really run-down, drug-riddled council estate on the edges of Oxford, and he grew up on that estate... And he grew up with a father who was an invalid and a mother who left home when he was quite young. And he spent some of his childhood in children's homes. And he left school at 16 without a qualification to his name. And bad stuff happened, but he came to know Jesus and it turned his life around. When he was 18 years old and he went back into education and got a degree and turned his life around. Listen, we all have stories If you haven't got a story, you probably will have one at some time in your life of when things have been a challenge, when circumstances have been a challenge. But it's how you get a hold of that. And if you recognize that the enemy has a hand in it, and if you decide that you're not going to quit, that's what makes the difference. Don't be a quitter. Do you remember when everyone was leaving Jesus? um, Peter said, well, where would we go? Jesus said, are you going to leave me as well? And he said, where would we go? Because you're the one who has the words of eternal life. That's what we need to say when we come under pressure from our circumstances. Lord, I'm not going anywhere. You have the words of eternal life for me. I'm not quitting. And that is a way to, uh, if you like, rebuke the work of this python spirit that wants to suffocate the life out of you. Now, I'm looking at the time here. There's two more things in these signs and symptoms. Do you think we could get those done today? And then we could look at some of the solutions next week. So you have to be here next week or you have to listen online or something like that because I don't want to just leave you thinking it's all terrible and that we're all having the life squeezed out of us with nothing we can do about it. Okay. Number six then. If you could be under a spiritual attack, if you find yourself in your life with old habits and ways of behaving resurfacing, Things you've conquered, things you gave up when you became a Christian, they start to sort of creep back up in the background on you. That can be a sign that you're under spiritual attack. Maybe you, or maybe some new things that you didn't even kind of think of before, but maybe you've managed to give up smoking, say, because you know it's kind of not very good for this wonderful temple of the Holy Spirit that God has made you, but you find yourself under pressure and tempted to go back to that, or drug use, or overspending, or clubbing, or getting drunk, or sexual sins like, oh, these are the horrible words, fornication, adultery. Do you, even, do you know what they mean? Fornication is when you sleep with someone you're not married to. Adultery is when you sleep with somebody who's married to somebody else. And then they're not things that we 
can do as Christians and expect the presence of God to be with us. So if you find yourself being pulled back into things like that, pornography, whatever it is, these things are not okay. But don't get condemned. Recognize before you get into them again that you're coming under a spiritual attack. And wake up whenever you're tempted by a longing for the wrong lifestyle or thinking of the wrong things wake up, think, I'm being attacked here. This isn't God's plan for my life. This isn't what God wants for me. Ephesians 2 says, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world. You used to live in sin obeying the devil, uh, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit of work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. Don't let him be at work in your heart as well. We want to be obedient to God and following him and full of his presence and full of his spirit. So if you find yourself being pulled back into things like that, wake up. Let the Holy Spirit bring that conviction to your life and get you back on track following Jesus. Number seven, this is the final thing we're going to look at today. Signs of spiritual attack. Pulling away from godly relationships. That's a seventh symptom. Now, if you find yourself pulling out of relationships with people who you know, who are part of church, you're not going to your cell group or whatever it is, see it as a warning. Your life is under attack. There is an enemy trying to devour you. Maybe, you know, when you first got saved and you would bust a gut to get to your cell group, even if you got there half an hour late and you'd been at work and you hadn't had any dinner, and now you think, oh, I'm a bit tired today. It's been a hard day at work and I haven't really had time to cook my dinner. I'll just kind of, you know, I I, I deserve a night in. I deserve a night in. And maybe you want to watch uh, something on the telly, but is that going to really feed your spirit in the way that you could be encouraged and blessed and bless others by being with the people of God? So if you feel like pulling away from godly relationships, see that as a bit of a warning. Um, Here's another quote. Your friends are a photograph of your future. That's an interesting thing to say, isn't it? Who you spend time with will accurately predict what your future is going to look like. Your friends are a photograph of your future. And I can hear some little click, 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 whir, 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 whirs going around the room. And people are, maybe you're thinking, but we're supposed to be witnessing to people who aren't Christians. We're supposed to be mixing with people who are not Christians so that we can bring them to Jesus. Well, listen, you're supposed to influence them. They're not supposed to influence you. It's supposed to be that way round. Okay, bring them into your atmosphere. Don't go into theirs. I, I mean, you may be able to prove me wrong, and you can come and see me afterwards if you like, but I have never met anyone who went clubbing with their friends who, in that club atmosphere, won their friend for Christ. And maybe there's someone who's an evangelist who goes deliberately to preach the gospel in that kind of atmosphere and has seen people won. But I have never met anyone who has gone with their friends into that atmosphere and seen something good come out of it. They're supposed to come into your atmosphere. You're supposed to change them. You're supposed to call them up higher and show them the love of Jesus in your life. Amen? You know, when we had kids, we were very, um, we didn't let our kids just go to any old house to play. We would. We let them play with anybody, but they had to come to our house if we weren't quite sure what the atmosphere was going to be like in the house they were going to go to. I don't know what films or things on TV that that child's mother's going to let my child see. I don't know what they're going to talk about. So I'm going to bring that child into my house and show them the love of God in my home. Amen? So if you're pulling away from godly relationships, that is something to wake up to. So say after me and then we're done. Here... There is, well, you don't have to say this bit, I'm saying this bit. There is a spirit around that wants to strangle the spiritual life out of you. Just like a python coils itself around its victims and suffocates them and then eats them whole. There were some really good pictures on YouTube if you want to watch that. But that's what our enemy, the devil, wants to do to us. He wants to strangle the spiritual life out of you so that you can't breathe and all that breath of God in your life is squeezed out. And my appeal to us this morning is to be aware of that. 
Not just to think, oh, well, I'm just feeling a bit off today. Think. When those things happen to you, if you notice those seven symptoms in your life, loss of spiritual desire, tiredness, lack attack, a weak prayer life, feeling overwhelmed, old habits and lifestyles pulling you back, pulling away from godly relationships. If you notice those things in your life, what are you going to do? Wake up! Wake up to the enemy that's trying to devour you. Wake up up because once you wake up and you see it that is half the battle won and I'm going to tell you the other half of the battle next week and some of the things that you can actually do to help yourself and to help one another amen right what I'd like to do I I I wouldn't like you to go without us just coming before the Lord and asking him to help us with this word this week in our lives. So would you mind standing just for a couple more minutes? And I'm not going to uh, put anyone on the spot, but I did feel I would like to pray together for any of us that feel we've looked to the wrong place for our future destiny. We've consulted a fortune teller or we've read our horoscope, however harmless we thought that was, we've we've not understood the power of what we're doing in giving our future into the enemy's hands and listening to his lies for our lives. And we want to put our future in God's hands. Amen? Okay, so if you feel you're able to, you can repeat this prayer after me. And if if you know that God is just convicting you and doing some business in your heart, you can change things today. We can shut that door that you've opened in your life to give the enemy a chance to influence your future. You can shut it and say, no, I'm not having that influence in my life. I'm going to repent and I'm going to trust God and his word and his promises for my future and my destiny. So Lord, you can repeat this. Lord, I come to you today and I am so sorry that I've ever gone to anyone but you for my future. I'm sorry where I've looked at my destiny elsewhere. I can see that I've given the enemy an opportunity. And I repent. And you might want to repent of something specific here. I'm just going to say several things. But you you say quietly what it is for you. I repent of all kinds of uh, ways of trying... Looking at my future, even if I didn't think that I really believed it, it still opened a door in my life, Lord. And I repent of reading my horoscope, Lord. I repent, even in a a newspaper or a magazine, I repent of reading my star sign and what what it says about me, Lord. I repent of ever looking at what kind of character a certain star sign is going to make me. I repent of that. I don't want my life to be determined by that wrong influence, Lord. I repent of looking at tarot cards. I repent of going to a fortune teller or tea leaves or palm reading or anything at all that is not your destiny for my future. Please, Lord, I, would you come now and by the power of the blood of Jesus, cut that all off from my life now in Jesus' name. And Lord, we, you can say this bit after me, we receive your destiny for our lives. We're going to believe your promises. And we know you have good things for us. And a purpose and a destiny in, in you. And we're going to go out that door now, Lord, and we're, going to be, we're not going to be held by any of those uh, wrong influences anymore, Lord. This is a fresh start. We're going to step out of that door, and those things have no hold on our lives anymore. In Jesus' name and in the power of the blood of Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. And just uh, the next thing is, let's just raise a, a shout aloud to Jesus and tell him, this week we are going to wake up and have our eyes open to the attacks of the enemy in our lives. And we're not going to fall for them, so we're just going to all pray that together. Okay? Can you do that? You can kind of do it quietly if you're not used to us being noisy. But I I used to be quiet. I am still, really. (laughs) Honestly, I am. Okay, Lord Jesus, we just pray out loud with me. Lord, we thank you, Father, that you want our eyes to be opened, Lord. You want us to understand the schemes of the enemy, Lord. You want us to see that he only exists to steal 
and rob and destroy. And we are not having it, Lord. We are not going to let him destroy us. We are not going to let him steal from us. We want your destiny for our lives, Lord. We want the life that you promised us, Lord, an abundant life, Lord. And we thank you, Father, that we are going to put ourselves in your hands this week. Open our eyes, Lord, to the unseen realities, Lord, and cause us to wake up to the schemes of the devil. And Lord, we pray that this week we would go forward in you and not be pressured and not be squeezed and not be restricted and not be suffocated and not have the spiritual life squeezed out of us, Lord. We want to say, fill us with your breath, Lord Jesus. Fill us with the breath of your Holy Spirit. Fill us with your presence, Lord. We are going to walk after you and we're going to be like Christian, not like Joe, Lord. We're going to have the things in our life that bring us closer to you and give us that life and life in abundance. Amen.